Now follow as I read a portion of a book that's inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired, it's the very mind of God, it's black words on a white page. You listen to just a portion of it, beginning in verse 12, we'll read through verse 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Now, now, gang, the, the way that we understand this paragraph in the book of Hebrews is pretty much governed by the opening word. I, I've said this dozens of times, but anytime you find the word therefore, that word is an interpretive key. With that word, therefore, what you see taking place here in this paragraph is that the author is seeking to apply that which he has just taught. What he has just taught has to do with discipline and chastening. So what this next paragraph is intended to do is to apply that, to give you some, some marching orders in view of what he's just taught us about discipline and chastening in this earlier paragraph, verses 3 through 11. So he's giving you some more information, some more direction when it concerns this subject of um, chastening and discipline of the Lord. This is a man, this, this author of the book of Hebrews, is a pastor who has, um, who has watched people he loves go through difficulty and loss and setbacks and suffering. And so he, he appeals to them. He, is, um, he, he uses almost poetic language to tell them uh, what they should do in response to the chastening and the, the, the discipline of the Lord. So what I'm saying, guys, is that the paragraph that I just read you this morning is connected to the previous paragraph. The subject matter is over here. The application is what we're looking at today. Um, gang, any pastor worth his salt knows that pain, pain of any kind, has the potential to make you better or make you bitter. And so he gives instructions. He's telling us that in the midst of our own pain and sorrow, there are two things that we must pursue and two things that we must avoid. They're in the text. This is pastoral advice at its best. This is pastoral work at its best because he's, he's instructing people that he loves. There, there, there are two things that you should pursue and there are two things that you must avoid. 
in the midst of the chastening or, or the discipline of the Lord. Now, let me say this before I point those two things out, or four things. When he opens this little section about things that we should, the two things that we should pursue, you must understand he uses the word strive in verse 14. Strive for. All I'm saying is, these are not things that will chase you down. These are things that you must chase down. Yourself. And the first one that he says that you must pursue is this. Peace with everyone. Gang, um, pain has a way, does it not, of bringing us to our last nerve. Um, to frustrate us and to make us... Um, to make us irritable, to bring us to the place that we're on our last nerve, that we want to bite somebody's head off. When I was in seminary, there was a guy in seminary with me, and he's a dear guy. He's still alive. He's a, he's a good guy. His name is Chuck. And while we were in seminary, it was determined that he had a, a, a small boy that um, became a patient at St. Jude's. And Chuck was uh, traveling between Jackson, Mississippi and Memphis, taking care, or trying to take care of his, his wife, his son, and, and seminary training. And I remember on one occasion, he asked me to, um, to pray for his marriage. And I thought that was so odd. I hadn't been a Christian but about three years. And Well, I pray for your marriage. I mean, pray for your son, pray for the doctors, pray for the healing. You know, but why, 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 why pray for your marriage? And then he went on, he proceeded to tell me of the statistics of couples who divorce after they go through um, St. Jude's and, and with a sick child. Now, those, those statistics may have changed. I'm sure they've learned a lot in those 40 years. But back then, the divorce rate was sky high. Do you see it? Because you see, pain has a way to bring us to our last nerve, to the point that we want to. We want to bite somebody's head off. I even thought while I was dealing with this, this, this paragraph, I wonder if some of the bickering among Christians could be, could be explained by the, by the fact that we're low on resources because of what it is that we're experiencing, the, the stress that's associated with our own pain. And, and on some occasions... Our problems, our pain may even drive us to seek remedy in the court system. When it's very clear that the scripture said that we're supposed to pursue peace, and we find it here. The point of this pastor to his audience is, don't let this period of chastening make you into an angry, bitter man or woman. It has that potential, you know. The other thing that he says, and if you'll notice the construction of the, of the verse, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it's strive for peace and strive for holiness. So there's two things that we're supposed to pursue in the midst of our own pain. Peace and Morality. <laughs> that text doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say we pursue morality. It says that we pursue holiness. And those two things, ladies and gentlemen, 
are worlds apart. Now, let me point this out. It says, we pursue holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. That is, nobody goes to heaven without holiness. So all of a sudden, this pursuit of holiness becomes very important. It's, it, it's, a, it's a brief, powerful statement that kind of falls on the ear with this sharp tone of authority. Pursue holiness, without which nobody goes to heaven. Okay, if it's so important, then what the heck is it? You know, we can spend a lot of time on defining holiness, but there's a brief statement that Paul makes in 1 Thessalonians 4, where, which says, God has not called us to impurity, but called us for holiness. So what Paul has done there is that he's separate, or he has put as opposites impurity, uncleanness, and holiness. So holiness is not some kind of pursuit of some kind of outward display of morality. It's the opposite of uncleanness. Holiness is not something that we'll ever taste in perfection. It's not something that's ever fully attained or fully grown. But it is a pursuit of something that looks like Jesus. It's not that we take on some kind of moral outsides. It's something that grows out of the recesses of our soul. It's rooted in and found on, found, founded upon our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we have that, it gives rise to a pursuit, not of morality, but of holiness. Guys, morality is such a satanic substitution for holiness. Holiness is not something on the outside. Holiness is something that starts on the inside and gives changes to the outside. Morality is something that's all skin deep. Can I, can I, can I show you an example which is just absolutely fascinating to me? You do know that in the ministry of Jesus Christ, the people that he had the most problems with were people who thought that they had enough of this holiness stuff or, or at least they, uh, they did, either didn't need it at all or they had enough of it. And Jesus talks about him one time and he says, um, you people are, um, you tithe the mint and the cumin, but you ignore the weightier matters of the law. You remember that? Now guys, get, get a mental picture of this. Somebody gives a priest a, a stalk of mint. You know, we grow that stuff in my backyard. Um, and when I give you a stalk of mint and he says, uh, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. oh, this 10th one, <laughs> this is for you. You tie the mint in the coming. Now, this same group of people who tie their mint stalks, this comes out of John 12. Remember in John 11, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Stay with me. And when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death too. Because many people were coming to faith because of Lazarus. Oh, hand me a stalk of mint so I can give you every tenth leaf. Oh, and let's murder Lazarus. It's not enough for us to murder Jesus. Let's murder Nazareth, Lazarus too. 
Because you see, we can't have people coming to faith because of Lazarus's testimony. Oh, 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 but I need to go tithe my mint. It's downright laughable. Oh, I tithe and, uh, you know, I'm baptized and I'm a church member. And I'm willing to murder if need be. Gang, the call here is that we pursue holiness, not morality. You know, when Isaiah got a glimpse of God, he didn't say, moral, moral, moral. He said, holy, holy, holy. And there is a vast difference, ladies and gentlemen. Morality morality leads us to self-righteousness, and self-righteousness is deadly. But you put it back in this little paragraph, and here's what happens. Here's what the author has in mind. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, we want relief. And so we say, well, you know, um, I'll just go out and buy something that I can't afford. Or worse, I'll just go out and have me an affair. Because that should lessen my pain. It won't. It'll just make it worse. So in the midst of the pain that has brought you to your last nerve, you don't pursue morality. You pursue holiness. A holiness without which no man shall ever see the Lord. Well, okay, well, Dr. Young, how, how do I know the difference? How do I know the, the difference of those two when I'm trying to evaluate myself? Well, let me give you just a couple of quick questions. First of all, do you look back on your past sin with sorrow or do you, do you miss the good old days? You know, back in college when you, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, kind of, oh, I miss those days. Do you? Or do you look back on them with sorrow? Because, my friend, if you look back on them as something that you long for, something's wrong. Or how about this? Do you look forward to future sins? Or do you prefer death to dishonoring God? Ladies and gentlemen, I probably have prayed 3,000 times that if God saw me on a path that I was headed to another woman, that God would strike me dead. I'd rather die than sin against my wife. I'd rather die. Do, do, Do you look forward to some kind of opportunity to sin in the future? Or would you rather die than sin? Here's another one. Is your life different on a business trip than it is at home? Or is your life different at church than it is at home? Because you may just have morality instead of holiness. Finally, is obedience something you love? Or is it just grudging compliance? Guys, I'm about to say something that is so risky. Um, that if you, mis- if, you, if you quote me only half of what I say, you'll misrepresent me. But it does make my point, and so I'm going to take the chance. 
and it'll, of course, it'll wake you up. You know, one of the great features about being a Christian is that I can get, as, I can get drunk as many, many times as I want. The big problem is I don't want to. Oh, I can have as many affairs as I want to. But I wouldn't dream of that. Why? Because you see, a pursuit of holiness takes you in the opposite direction from a pursuit of morality. Guys, if you think being a Christian means that you can sin as much as you like, something is bad wrong. Gang, the, the point of the author is pain have a, has a way of making us want to throw in the towel and go find some relief somewhere, somehow. And this pastor steps in and he says, listen, I know you hurt. But you need to pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no man shall ever see God. That's where we go, ladies and gentlemen. We don't go the opposite direction. We go towards him. Here are the two things that you're supposed to avoid. One's mentioned in verse 15. Well, actually, they're both mentioned in verse 15. Um, <clears throat> he says, um, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What that is is just an exhortation, and we've covered it so many times in this study of Hebrews that I'm not going to spend any time on it. It simply means you got to make it to the end. You got to make it to the finish line, folks. You give up in between, and it just proves that you're not a saved man now. That, that's not this church's theological position. That's what Jesus said in Mark 13 13. He who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus said that. So that's all he's saying in different words. It's this other thing I want you to fix your attention on the other thing to avoid, and that no root of bitterness springs up. And causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You know that story? God chastens us, and we grow bitter. You know, if this is what it means to belong to this God, I, I don't want to belong to him anymore. I, I didn't sign on for this. And that bitterness spews on the rest of us. Um, oh, my friends, keep a bitter man, a bitter, angry man away from me because I don't want to get spilled on. He gives us an example. The example he gives us is Esau. You remember that story? He came in from hunting one day and he was, re he was really hungry. He said he was famished. He was going to die if he didn't get something to eat. He was in a bit of pain. And so he walked away from his birthright so that he could satisfy and relieve the pain then when he lost everything else, he calls, he comes to his father and cries for it. I want this. I want this. I really do want the blessing. And it's gone. And the text tells us he found no, no time to repent. What he really wanted was the blessing. He wanted the pain to go away, but he didn't want to pursue a right relationship with God.
Guys, I bet you know people like this. People who, because life has thrown them a curveball, and I can promise you life can be counted on to throw you as many of them as you can stand. But life has thrown them a curveball, and they didn't expect this, and they didn't see it coming, and as a result, they've grown bitter. And so the marriage begins to suffer, and the children begin to to walk in crazy places because instead of pursuing peace and holiness, they gave rise, they they gave permission for bitterness to spring up. You know, I don't do this very often. Um, In fact, I don't think I've seen but about two of them in 15 years. I don't know how long they've been. But on ESPN, I do watch ESPN, but... ESPN has this thing called um, 30 for 30 or 30 by 30 or something like that. And, and um, uh, one of the episodes is called A Football Life. And they, they basically just give you the history of a man who played football. And I got in on the middle of it or, or, or so, and it was um, recently, and, and it was about Jim Kelly. You know the name Jim Kelly? Jim Kelly played his college ball at the University of Miami and went on to have a Hall of Fame NFL career with the uh, Buffalo Bills. He was a quarterback, um, played in four straight Super Bowls. And I didn't remember that. <laughs> four straight Super Bowls, and he lost all four of them. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, and you would think, well, gosh, I mean, that's some, <laughs> that's some real suffering there. I mean, boy, he lost four Super Bowls. Oh, it's just beginning. They had one daughter. Um, but his wife, Jill, knew he wanted a boy, and so she got pregnant again, and guess what? She had a boy on his birthday, February the 14th. Had a, birthday, had a, had a, had a, a son named Hunter. Um, everything looked fine. Before his first birthday, they determined that he had this disease that would probably take his life before age two. He made it to almost five. And when Jim Kelly was inducted to the Hall of Fame, I wish you could hear his speech. It's in this, this 30 by 30 football like that. I wish you could hear his speech th- that was addressed to his son, the bravest, the strongest man I know is my son Hunter, who died within weeks, didn't make it to age five. Um, Jim began to drink. Jim Kelly began to drink. His marriage began to fall apart. And he says in this, this segment, he says, my wife began to pursue the Lord and I began to run from him. And the marriage was, he was, he was womanizing, drinking, and um, as if losing four Super Bowls and the, the apple of your eye, your four-year-old son wasn't enough, he was then diagnosed with cancer of the upper jaw. And he's gone through that and it looks like he's going to make it. And in, the, and in that process, he comes to faith in Christ. And he says that. He said, my wife was pursuing the Lord and I was running. I just came later. And then he sends his daughter to Liberty University, which you know is a Christian school over in North Carolina or someplace, South Carolina, wherever. And he, they, they show a picture of him at the, at the graduation of his daughter at Liberty University. And 
he and his wife have recovered and he and his wife are chasing after Jesus. To hear him speak of how his pain brought him to faith, brought tears to my eyes. He wept, I wept. Gang, that's what it's supposed to do. It's not supposed to turn you into an angry, bitter man where you begin to look for some kind of um, relief in another woman or another man or another gadget or another house or another plate. No. What it's supposed to do is prompt in us a pursuit of peace with everyone and drive us to pursue Christ-likeness. Avoiding all the bitterness that sometimes comes along with our pain. Guys, I, I know some of you get there. I just don't know who you are or when you got there. And I don't know the details of what you brought you there. But you're there. And this inspired pastor has some advice for you. Would you listen to him? Pursue peace and the holiness without which no one would see the Lord. And Don't throw in the towel and don't allow it to let you grow bitter. Now, this pastor, who is non-inspired, would like to add one thing. Don't run from the people of God. You don't need to disappear. What you may need right now more than anything is the people of God who can continue to remind you of the promises that God has made us. I want to read you one statement from, from David in Psalm, in Psalm 16. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Don't run in that direction, ladies and gentlemen. Run in this direction. Set the Lord at your right hand. And you won't be shaken either. Oh God, we are a, a room full of sufferers. For some of us, it's not our time. It's not our turn. But if it's not our turn now, it soon will be. And for others of the household of faith, the pain gets old. It brings us to our last nerve. It tempts us to grow bitter and to find solutions that are ungodly. So will you use this reminder from an inspired pastor to uh, pursue peace, strive after holiness, don't throw in the towel, and don't allow bitterness to spring up by which many will be defiled. Lord, enable us to do that. 
But Father, if you have brought people here this morning who don't have the foggiest notion about what we're talking about, who have never met our Savior and do not know the, the freedom that we now have because Christ has set us free, would you, would you give them such an interest in holy things that they won't be able to know a minute's worth of peace until they have come to this Savior? Draw them yourself, O oh God, because if you don't do it, the rest of us can't. We ask you to do it for Jesus' sake. And we pray in his name.